Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello there, and welcome to It's an S-Pod Thing the podcast revisiting every episode of S Club 7's insane TV show. I'm Sophie Davis, and joining me on this journey from Miami to Spain will be a range of guests who may or may not have seen the show before. Either way, we're going to analyse it in more detail than anyone ever asked for. If you're an S Club fan like me and remember watching the show, hopefully this podcast will bring it all back to you. So my guest on the podcast today is writer, comedian and podcaster Tessa Coates. Hello. Hello. Well, thank you so much for having me. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> thank you for joining me. So to start with, I'd like to know, what is your history with S Club 7? And have you ever seen this TV show before? Uh, my history is long and intense. And yes, I have seen the TV show before. I... Uh, was a real so they were hap- they were happening when I was at the very end of primary school and the beginning of secondary school and they mm. were they were the coolest they were the coolest thing you could possibly be uh, I think you either went for steps or S Club Seven and I was S Club Seven till till the end also <laughs> I had forgotten this until I watched this episode but there must have been seven of us in the in I remember in year six we made up this song that instead of saying s club you said year six <laughs> and then you went like, no party like a year six party and then we were just like desperate to there was one boy in our year called joe and so we were like great that's done that's enough for it to be a crossover <laughs> there's a joe in the thing and we've got a joe and then everyone you know people, you know it's just like desperate to like be part of the gang mm-hmm. so yeah we made up a I think it was definitely me really pushing the agenda on the year six <laughs> S Club band. Um, but I vividly remember making everyone sort of learn some choreography that I'd that I'd invented. Yep. Yeah, I remember <laughs> learning like the the reach dance in primary school mm-hmm. and print I remember printing off lyrics and taking them in and everyone was like really excited about that. I don't know. It was why. such a huge thing to like somebody printing something off and bringing it like Oh God, those are the days like bringing something in and, and everyone just went berserk, <laughs> but like what you'd, what contraband you'd brought into school. And there, yeah, that was, I, the kids of today will never know what it was. They're like, do you remember at the end of Blue Peter or, you know, news round, they would be like, and if you need any more details or for the recipe, it's coming up on your screens now. And you had to all, your whole family <laughs> had to like run to the screen and everyone try and write a different line down so that you could, <laughs> you could remember it. Like it was, oh it gosh, was a different yes. time. <laughs> It was a different time. Yeah, remember song lyrics? You used you used to get a little booklet with an album, didn't you? And yeah. sometimes it would have the lyrics in, but it was like the tiniest print imaginable. Oh, and that was like the only way you could get hold of the lyrics if you bought the album. Yeah, and then you opened them all up, really, really small, and then you you sung along, and it was a really cool like insider thing to have to be like, actually, the actual lyrics are this. 
yeah, it was, it was as cool <laughs> as you could possibly be. Yeah, definitely. So today we're talking about LA7 episode four, which is called Misguided, and it aired on CBBC on the 27th of April in the year 2000. Uh, a bit of context, in the previous episode, the band arrived in Hollywood and they found an apartment to live in. And now in this episode, Hannah appears to be working as a sort of tour guide on one of those buses that goes around celebrity homes in Beverly Hills. And it's her first day of work and the rest of the band are all just there, aren't they? Like sort of heckling her. Yeah, yes, yeah. On her first day of work, they've just bought tickets. They've used up all her salary to buy tickets (laughs) to go on the tour bus with her. Or maybe she let them on for free. And uh, she's the only one. I mean, she and... um, somebody's working in a bar and Hannah's got a job uh in uh, on the on the tour bus in an attempt to in an attempt to pay the rent on their like 12 man uh beachside LA house it's which <laughs> easily is worth like 12 million you know it's like it's so they're in somewhere so nice and they're like oh god how will we pay the rent yeah and they're all complaining that they haven't got any money but yeah, yeah like you said they probably just spent the money on buying tickets to like critique Hannah on her first day of work right no wonder you haven't got any money guys and then they're always having more cocktails well maybe he gives them for free look who are we to say what's happening behind the scenes but I was like ugh. At one point, she drops her map and is like, um, that house over there belongs to uh, that famous bloke. And then she can't remember where Eddie Murphy lives. And there's there's a weird moment where Hannah claims that this like short, bald man who we, know, who we don't see is Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And she says, oh, people always look taller and hairier on camera. So then John goes, hear that, Joe, you've still got a chance of playing a werewolf. And Joe really angrily like punches him in the arm. I don't understand what is going on here. There's so, and then he says, "Or you could be Lennox Lewis." So presumably that's like a reference, being like, "Oh, you're so good at punching, you can be a boxer." And then to suggest you could still have a chance to play a werewolf is to say he's. It's just. It's just. It's actually just a, a fine comment. He's saying you could be a werewolf because you appear bigger and hairier on this on the screen. It's yeah. such a baffling thing as well because. You've sort of insinuated from the pointing that it was like an old white man. And then we look to Bradley, who sort of like raises his eyebrows at this like questionable racial move that she's been like, that that's Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and then he's sort of been like, that's a white man. <laughs> and then she's like covered herself being like, no, 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 no. The issue is <laughs> that you're just, you t- you're taller and hairier on, on screen. So there's so much going on. And there also feels like quite genuine aggression there between Joe and the recipient of the punch. I'm never completely confident on which boy is which. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's John who gets the punch, bless him. And we then go to the cafe where where the band have this sort of regular gig performing and Paul is there serving drinks. So presumably he's got a job in the cafe now, but this Mm -hmm. hasn't been explained. He's just suddenly sort of serving drinks to the rest of them. And yeah, they're all talking about how they can't afford to pay their rent that's due tomorrow. So they're trying to avoid their landlady, Joni. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously, as soon as they say that, Joni then walks in and is like, hey, guys. And they're trying to sort of avoid her, aren't they? Yes, on account of them not paying rent on this massive beachside mansion that they 
that they live in. And she seems like a very nice lady. Yeah, and they start saying things to her like, oh, maybe you should like go away for a while. (laughs) I don't know why they think they would get away with not paying rent just because she's like gone on a break somewhere. Like surely they'd still have to pay the rent. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a baffling, but it's also the sort of thing that when you were a kid, you were like, yeah, I can buy it. I guess that's how it works in the grown up world. You know, if your landlady's not there, she can't get the rent. <laughs> As though they were going to like pay her cash in like a bag or something. Yeah. And Tina says, her, I hear Jupiter's really nice this time of year. And it's a weird line delivery as well because she's like yawning while saying it. And I'm not sure what Tina the implication is. Tina is just doing fact. her own thing for the duration of the <laughs> show. T- Tina has decided on her own personal delivery for all of her lines and she's really committed to it. And it's like she's in a different show to everybody else. Tina, <laughs> Tina, Tina just says some really crackers. Like things that you're like, what's happening here, babe? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, definitely. This will come up again because there's, yeah, there's definitely a few moments in this episode where you're like, that was a, an interesting choice. Yeah, right? Yeah, Tina is always the one I really thought. Because like Hannah, for example, I mean, this is really Hannah's episode. She's going, as we'll see, she's going to absolutely mm-hmm. thrive in this episode. And uh, and Rachel pops up so late that you're always like, oh yeah, you're, oh yeah, you're in the band as well. Yeah, I've written that down. Rachel shows up seven minutes into the episode for right? no explicable reason. Why wasn't she on the tour bus? Like why... Where honestly, the first time you arrived, you're just like, oh shit, yeah, Rachel. <laughs> Maybe there was like a, a deleted subplot or something. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Maybe Rachel had her own thing going on, as she would later go on to do, of course. Yeah, that is very strange. It's it's not explained whether maybe she's got a job as well, but we just don't know for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's got her own, she's got actually the she's the only person paying the rent. She's working for an accountancy firm. She's got proper business going on. <laughs> <laughs> so Joni, their landlady, tells them that she's just had lunch with an old friend who's called uh, Janice Hinkenlatter. Good of name. Course. And she's peeved because Janice has a twenty-four-year-old boyfriend. And apparently Joni's last boyfriend left her for a waitress at the cafe. And Bradley is like, oh, I wanted her. Yep. Yep. It's bo- it's a bold move at that point. Yep. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. okay. And no sympathy for Joni as well. No, no. Some old man has gone off with this young, poor young lady. And there was a competition. Clearly Bradley was up for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. You it sometimes it like played this line between being like, oh, they've got this. Well, I don't know. No, c- carry on, carry on, because we'll get into sort of the dark, <laughs> the dark undertone of where the show's going. Yeah, definitely. So it turns out Joni lied to her friend and said that she had a young boyfriend as well. Uh, so this friend Janice has suggested a double date, and this is the point where Joni sort of turns to the three boys and is like, "I need one of you for Thursday night." And yeah, weirdly, Tina is the one who goes, don't take this the wrong way. But why should they? (laughs) Again, Tina, you're like, what, what's, what, every time Tina speaks, you do just think like, what's, what's happening, Tina? (laughs) She delivers everything in this, in such a baffling, like, no offense, but why should they? You're like, oh, I don't know. You really think she's got her, you know, I don't know, Tina. I don't know. The weakest member of the group. She's Look, her, I've said it. Oh, a bold claim. I'm so bold. Early in. I've said it. <laughs> She's definitely just in her own world in this episode. Very much so. Jody! Jody, hi. Um, we were just talking about you, you know, saying how hard you work and everything. Yeah, never taking a break. Why don't you go away? Yes. Far away. I hear Jupiter's really nice this time of year. No, 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 no. Don't talk to me about vacations. Listen, I just had lunch with Janice Hinkenlauder. 
My old college roommate? Well, we used to have a lot of fun. I mean, she would borrow my clothes and I'd borrow her makeup. She'd borrow my boyfriend's, but it was really good to see her. Because it brought the memories flooding back. No, because like her butt is three times as big as mine. <laughs> anyway, I'm still not happy. And do you know why? Look, the month isn't over yet. We could easily get rich and famous by tomorrow afternoon, you know, and pay off our... No, I'm not happy because Janice has a boyfriend. So, you've got a boyfriend. Tom. Oh, Jay. What happens to Tom? Well, basically, we wanted two different things. Like, I wanted a loving and nurturing relationship, and he wanted the young, pretty blonde who waits tables here on Sunday. Mama. I wanted her. Anyway, Janice's boyfriend's like 24 years old, and like that's like really gross because like she's only a month older than I am. But I'm in trouble. Why? Well, because I told her that I had a young boyfriend too, and she goes, "Oh, hey, why don't we go out on a double date sometime?" Sometime. So basically, guys, I need a boy toy for Thursday night. What? Look, I don't care which one of you it is. Just don't fight over me. Look, Joni, don't take this the wrong way, but. Why should they? So Tina says, what's in it for me? And then, of course, <laughs> we reveal what's in it for them. <laughs> yeah, Joni says she will waive the rent for the month if they do it. So then the girls are obviously like, oh, yeah, of course, we'll help you. One of the boys will go out with you. Um, and after that, we see Joe kind of testing Hannah's knowledge of movie stars. And she's holding this massive book that just says the movie book on the front cover in like huge letters. It's a sweet show. They used up all their money on the location. They didn't have money for props, you know. It's a sweet show. Yeah, and Hannah's not doing very well. She thinks that Cameron Diaz and Johnny Depp were in Casablanca. And yeah, speaking of kind of graphic design and stuff, there's like an advert for a film in a magazine, isn't there, called Random Violence. Yes. So at this point, we make a real, like, very clear from the writers, like, weird reference to sort of Jason Statham movies and I mean the film is literally called Random Violence and you're he's in we're talking about an actor who's in this sort of shoot 'em up, you know, pointless pointlessly pointlessly violent movies in a way that I remember thinking like, I wonder if this is totally going over kids' heads. You know, it felt it felt quite nuanced this part, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're referencing a few stars as well later on that are a bit kind of um they say things about like uh, errol flynn and stuff like that yeah and, uh, i don't think it's for the kids really is it no right who's this who's this for <laughs> but, but <laughs> this comes it... up a lot on this podcast who is this show for but i do remember so vividly loving it so very much and i think that mm-hmm. is that really sweet combination that you do believe that they all really genuinely liked each other i don't know i think it's a really sweet show liked it at the time love it now this second series in LA in particular is quite sort of aspirational because in series one they were in Miami and they Mm. were working in a little sort of grotty hotel like sort of cleaning and stuff and performing in the evening and they were always complaining and then in LA it's very much like oh we're all a big group of friends living together and we're performing and just sort of hanging out with all these you know Hollywood celebs and I think I think they've got it better in this series. Like it's more like fun for the kids. I think. Well, in the is it the very first one where they sort of go back in time? That was like a, a special that was in uh, between sorry, Miami sorry. and LA. Yeah, it's like an hour an hour long special because they're in the middle of 
traveling between the two places and they somehow go back in time yeah oh i see so on their way between miami oh my god so on the drive to from between miami and los angeles they also go back in time what an yeah. enormous <laughs> what an enormous canon of work these kids produced you know <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing and they just act like it's an everyday thing as well really just taking it in their stride working there you know they were they were out there grinding every day that is very funny i do i thought the going back in time one was itself its own series but oh delicious they were just they were traveling from one place and the other and they, they were like okay let's get some more mileage out of mileage out of this i guess uh yeah okay so yeah. We're more aspirational <laughs> LA and everything's sort of working this like meta they're a band it's like a parallel universe of like the band that they aren't successful yet and yet they're just sort of performing you know they're like they're waiting to be rich and famous in this Mm -hmm. in this version of the world yeah so they yeah they see this advert for random violence and it's uh it stars a guy called Tommy DeWitt and because he's not a real actor, you can tell he's going to sort of come up in the episode as a character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Joe's into him. Joe says he's properly sexy, which I was quite surprised by because this show usually says stuff that's a bit more like, well, Rachel says later, he's a major drool burger. So I was yes. quite surprised to hear the word sexy. <laughs> drool, again, what a 90s, what a 90s thing, drool. Like it was all over all those sorts of like pop sugar and like crush and Ms. magazines. You know, you wrote in about your crush and then you'd write like drool. <laughs> like what a disgusting, <laughs> what a disgusting thing. And then it just, as with almost everything from the early 2000s, it just quietly died, never to be heard of again. But drool, like you said it all the time. A drool burger. Yeah. What a disgusting thing. It makes me think a little bit of um, Angus Thongs and uh, Perfect Snogging as well. That sort of language. Yeah. Yeah. That was a real, what an era that was. Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging. Yeah. Yeah, Full Frontal is the book name, isn't it? And then they changed it to Perfect for the film. Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging? Yeah, I think no. it's Perfect. Yeah, as far as I remember. God, America. I bet America, I bet America had a hand in that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The uh, Like the uh, Philosopher's Stone. Oh, we can't have the word philosopher. It has to be the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, yeah. What bullshit. Maybe full frontal sounded a bit intense. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. America, <laughs> come on. And Yeah, there's a weird moment here. They're talking about Tommy DeWitt. Joe fancies him and Hannah disagrees. She says uh, he's got about half the sex appeal of R2-D2. And I don't really get this, but she points at what I'm assuming is a picture of R2-D2 in the magazine she's holding, but we can't see it. And she says, now there's some quality dental work. Uh, and I okay. don't know what she's talking about. That entire scene went over my head because I was too busy thinking about whether Tommy DeWitt was a real person and then quickly being like, oh no, okay, he's he's not. This must be a, this is a fake actor now that we're going to meet. And then I was just really, I was in way too deep. To, I missed that completely that she references R2-D2. There's so many weird, well, yeah. everything is a gag. Like every line is a sort of weird cultural, pop cultural reference. Because I just spent like several minutes before thinking, what, how could you say R2-D2 has got quality dental work? I don't understand what yeah, that's what referring does it, to. What does it mean? <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> how can, oh, I don't understand. 
No, but also I missed it completely. So I can't even give you, I can't even help at this juncture. I, I missed that line. Oh, you're, you're lucky because you, you would have only been frustrated like I was. Staring to the mean? abyss thinking, what does she mean? <laughs> if anyone is listening to this now and they think they know what it means, then feel free Please. to let me know. Right in. Oh, random violence. I want to go and see that. I don't want to go and see random violence. I hate Tommy DeWitt movies. How can you not like Tommy DeWitt? He's properly sexy. Oh, come on, he's not even a good actor. Bothered about that. If I want good acting, I can watch Bradley telling us why he ain't done the washing up. Tommy's gorgeous. Oh, he's just a big, talentless haircut with expensive dental work and about half the sex appeal of R2-D2. Now there's some quality dental work. We hadn't literally just seen them like follow her off the bus. Mm-hmm. Like I would have preferred it if it was a bit of a reveal, like when she turns back and they're just there. But no, we saw them actually get off the bus with her. No, it's not. There's no pullback and reveal here in this level of humor. It's just like we're going absolutely from A to B. We're not. There's no nuance. We don't. There's no sight gags. We just uh, we just hit. We hit the gag every time in the simplest possible way. But you're exactly right. Like yeah. we didn't need to. We can't have <laughs> who's who's which character are we following if we see. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. If we see everything, then there's no then there's no joke for us. The joke is only for it's for Hannah, you know. <laughs> but we're, but we're the audience. Yeah. But yeah, no. In the script, it probably says Hannah turns around and the tourists are behind her. But then the director was like, "Oh well, we need to see them get off the bus, surely. Otherwise, how will we know why we're there?" It's like that's the joke. That's the joke, exactly. So the burglar appears and tries to get away, but he sort of trips over something and hits his head and gets knocked unconscious. Uh, I look this guy up and he's like quite a prolific stunt man. Oh, good for him. Yeah, he's been in lots of stuff. Stunt people always seem to do like 50 films per year. So his IMDb is like massive. And the tour group all start kind of applauding Hannah and she curtsies about five times, which is a bit strange. Yeah, he really takes quite an intense blow and sort of spins around a bit and then really smashes down. And then you think she's going to sort of check his pulse and just announce that he's alive or not. But no, she's just going to curtsy. She's just, she's here for the, uh, (laughs) yep, she's here for the praise. 
Yeah, and the band don't really believe her, do they? They don't believe that she stopped a burglary at Tommy DeWitt's house. And she shows them a badge that po- the police gave her, like she's a child or something, and they gave her a little pat on the head and a badge. I immediately was so jealous to see that. I was like, is that what you get if you do a good like citizen's arrest? I was like, I want one of those. And yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy that they don't... They don't believe her at all, despite she's obviously been like, surely she's like been at the police station for several, you know, for all day. And she's had to be like dropped off by the police and would, and you know, she (laughs) she has all the evidence. Like, why would they, why would they not believe her? And yeah, this is the point where Rachel shows up finally, seven minutes in. And she says about the whole uh, drool burger comment. Of course. Bradley goes off to answer the door and he comes back saying it's Tommy DeWitt and he wants to take Hannah out to thank her for saving his house. And again, they're all very dismissive. They're all like, yeah, right, Bradley. But then Hannah looks out of the window and sees him and she starts going mad, doesn't she? She starts kind of jumping around and going like, yes. She's very excited. Somebody who didn't believe... Yeah, it's like she she's had no interest in this Tommy DeWitt character before was like much more interested in her merit badge than she was about him. And then suddenly the character takes an absolute U-turn and is now like really excited to that he's here. And also we, it's just what, what a house of lies it must be built on that she comes back and says this thing happened. No one believes her. Then Bradley says he's at the door. <laughs> no one believes him. Like <laughs> why are you all lying to each other all the time? Believe your friends. They are in LA. So it is believable that like celebrities would be around everything's believable it's all i mean it's all totally possible guys believe your pals it's like i live in cardiff and when we moved here i saw peter capaldi in john lewis because obviously doctor who is filmed around here and when i told my boyfriend he was like no and i was like we're in cardiff and he was like oh yeah i suppose so maybe that's what the band are like the band just think they're still in like the south of England like they're not expecting to see celebrities anywhere no yeah you're so right they're new they're new they're just young kids new to LA they don't know that the celebs is going to pop up anytime so while the girls help Hannah get ready for this spontaneous I guess it's a date it hasn't been specifically called a date but it kind of seems that way uh Tommy is sitting with the boys downstairs and they keep asking him really specific questions about his films. And Tommy is being all kind of like, oh, that bit was my stunt double. That bit was my body double. And the boys are quite disappointed, aren't they? Yes, they do some great physical work. Uh, everybody leaning forward, everybody falling back. Very humorous. And uh, they're obviously very disappointed to hear that he doesn't really do anything in his movies that he doesn't get to do the love scenes he doesn't get to do the fencing scenes he doesn't get to do uh anything so he quickly we see a hero crumbling in real time before their eyes yeah and bradley isn't afraid to kind of get a bit sort of direct with him and he goes tommy do you actually appear in any of your movies he says it he says it straight he doesn't he's pulling no punches (laughs) Luckily, Hannah shows up at this point. She's wearing a different top from the one we literally saw her choose a few seconds ago. She's wearing a sort of white t-shirt and a nice blue leather jacket. And with her hair, she's gone for a bit of a sort of wet hair look, hasn't she? She's in a different t-shirt. Oh, that passed me. But this is, I'd be such a bad detective. That's absolutely baffling. We didn't need the... Okay, so they go upstairs. The girls all help her get ready. She's being very slow, given that Paul DeWitt sorry what's his name tony dewitt tommy dewitt tommy look again the detective strikes again can't remember anyone's name given that he's like the date is right there she's being so slow and just like very casually doing her makeup and then she picks up what i imagine in 2000 was you know the height of fashion it's basically a mesh 
a thin mesh top. Yeah, it's like a V-neck thing, isn't it? Of course. That's all we had. We we didn't have anything else. And, <laughs> and the, the girls are all like, that's the one. That's the one. That's the one. It's just a top. It's nothing. That was the thing. It was that was S Club Seven all over. You just wore like block a block color t shirt. Like they were just putting me like it was a top. You know, like there was no. You didn't have to do anything exciting with it. You just wore a, a top, and then you had your block colors. Then you had your baggy pants, and then you put a bandana on somewhere around your person, and that was it. You were ready to roll. And so she puts on this top. I mind. I in my mind, she still had it on, but she got something different on. And then she's got this horrible leather blue studded jacket. It's really something. (laughs) Yeah. And she looks like she's done that thing where you sort of flick up the ends of your hair where your layers are. Oh, yeah. That was... And this is where the girls all get to meet Tommy. He shakes hands with each of them. And Tina seems to sort of like orgasm when he touches her. Yep. Again, Tina fantastic from you thank you so much for that performance <laughs> and joe faints you don't see enough fainting these days there was a time when every movie featured a woman just just collapse just really like blackout fainting you know just like not even like <laughs> yeah. a, it wouldn't it wasn't a crumble you just you just you went completely rigid and then you either went directly backwards or directly forwards you know like and you don't see enough of that these days bring it back i say and there's a really like ott sound as well isn't there there's like a thud Oh yeah, they really take it seriously, and everyone just sort of looks at her. Despite this woman like dropping unconscious in the room, everyone's just like, huh, "Well," <laughs> they sort of stride over her unconscious <laughs> body and leave. Tommy's probably like, oh, "It happens all the time." It happens. Yeah. And who is playing Tommy Dewitt? Sorry, is he somebody is famous? Did he go um, on to great things? No, I, I looked him up. He seems to do a lot of photography now. I think. On his LinkedIn, I think it said like photographer slash actor. Like he's got a few acting credits, but not that many. But he does still live in LA, it seems. It's oh, stalking for him. him, clearly. <laughs> good for him. I worry so much about people, you know. I hope he's all right. I hope he's got a family. I hope he's happy. I hope he's a happy, Dommy. Yeah, he seems to be doing well. So they, yeah, they go out for dinner and she kind of asks him the secret to his success. And I quite like this bit. He says, oh, there are no shortcuts. I struggled. I studied. And then my uncle put me in a movie he was directing. Mm. You've got some proper, like, entertainment industry satire here. Very much still relevant. Right? It's very good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, I thought that was a good line. And he he is quite sort of uh, self-centered. He says, oh, I'll do anything for my fans. And then a guy comes over to speak to him. And he's like, excuse me, I'm eating. Yes, bit on the nose not the most subtle performance but look it got the message home it's the first red flag that he's maybe not the good guy we think he is yeah and hannah doesn't seem to be into him that much she's being a bit sort of i don't know humoring him and being like oh right okay and he says to her anyway let's talk about you have you seen any of my movies and he names some of them and one of them is all's well that ends dead my favorite my favorite line by by a country mile i really really enjoy it he, he's just listing yeah. off a bunch of mad titles and then all but it's such a it's such a funny line and i feel he doesn't it, and again it's like who's this for like what kid <laughs> knew that that was a that that was a joke but maybe like that is the thing with how kids you make kids television that like it can be enjoyed by a parent sat in the room as well like it's it should be always punching up you know always batting above its average rather than like batting down you know, maybe that's where we should always be doing Shakespeare 
a good solid Shakespeare pun, which is my favorite thing. So I had a small pause and applause at that point. All's well that ends dead. (laughs) Yeah, we hear quite a lot of his film titles and that one definitely stands out. Yes, everything else. I couldn't tell you for any of the other ones. They're all just, uh, they're not really a pun. There's so much as they are an amalgam. They're just a collection of sort of violent words. Maybe they came up with that one and they were like, that's enough, we can go home, we'll just... That's lunch, kids, that's lunch. So later that night at the house, the girls suddenly kind of spring out of bed because they hear a car pull up outside and go to the window to have a look, like, oh my God, they're back from the date. And Rachel has like some binoculars, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. And Joe whips out a telescope. Like, how close are you trying to look? And, uh, and, it, and look, get those prop gags in, you know, they're good stuff. A sort of 18th century telescope as well from her trousers. It's not, it's a good bit. <laughs> yeah, and Rachel has the binoculars in her bed and she just kind of whips them out of the duvet like she's ready. She's also in the bed as though asleep, but fully in her clothes. So it's not really clear. <laughs> it's not clear it just feels like the directorial choices someone was like and what's we so where have these girls just been and everyone's been like who cares like who cares what <laughs> narratively makes sense they're just in the room aren't they who cares where they got a telescope from like and yeah they're so close they do not need any sight enhancing equipment <laughs> they're looking right at the lips clearly yeah exactly zooming right in because um, they they start saying things like snog alert, and one of them says lip impact in three seconds. Oh, ah, again, <laughs> again, it was it's a sign of the times. You know, put this stuff in a time capsule so people can understand that we were obsessed with snogging, and snogging was you know as co- that was as good as it gets. That was the coolest thing you could you could possibly do. Yeah, because they they do have a bit of a snog. The girls all scream. It's weird, isn't it? Because on the dates. Hannah didn't really seem that into it, but maybe in the time we haven't seen, maybe he's kind of won her over because she seems quite up for the kiss, doesn't she? Yeah, she she does. You think having the date gone so badly and him proved himself to be so such poor company that she's going to be like, no, thank you. But she really, you're like, oh, okay, Hannah, really into it. And she's like, yeah, I'm in. Maybe she's doing it for the story. She can be like, I snogged Tommy DeWitt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we'd all do it. Although the next day she's doing another tour and she seems quite sort of loved up, doesn't she? And she's saying that Hollywood is the world capital of love. And the examples she gives are Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, who like were an actual couple. But then she says Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, who weren't a couple as far as I'm aware. They were just in Romeo and Juliet together. But I guess they portray the ultimate romantic but, no because yeah i googled it i was like were they a real couple then like no it's just a weird combination they've gone for yeah and again that again it takes so much mental gymnastics for you to be like are they a couple oh no oh i see in the movie of course yes and they played yes okay and again again a little <laughs> shakespearean nod for the uh for the uh, eight to nine year old age group who are enjoying oh yeah we're full of full of shakespeare references in this episode clearly there's uh but you know we're, we're rattling along we're just we're making gags left right and center tina and joe are now kind of bitching about hannah saying that they loved tommy dewitt way before she did and tina says and now she's the one getting all the face friction oh yes <laughs> yes face friction ah <laughs> oh, it was ah oh, the nostalgia it's what a time <laughs> i'm gonna bring that back as a term yeah 
just somebody your housemate going on a date and is coming back and being like and was there any face friction <laughs> was there any? <laughs> so you're just rubbing yourself up and down his beard <laughs> definitely and hollywood is also the world capital of romance spencer tracy and katherine hepburn leonardo dicaprio and claire danes jean-claude van damme and himself i can't believe it hannah's fallen in love with tommy dewitt it's not fair I loved Tommy DeWitt when Hannah thought he had all the charm and charisma of a timber doorframe. Now, she's the one getting all the face friction. It's not fair. <laughs> we need to get out more. Still, it could be worse. We could be Paul. <laughs> so, yeah, Joe goes, oh, well, it could be worse. We could be Paul. And at first I was like, wait, what, what is that the end of the scene? But it turns out what they're referring to is that Paul is the one who's been chosen to go on this date with Joni mm-hmm. that was mentioned what seems like hours ago. I, at first I was like, did she just say it could be worse? We could be Paul, like just as a general remark, like yeah, oh, yeah, Paul's yeah. awful, isn't he? But um, yeah, Paul is now getting ready for the date and he goes, why me? And John says, because you lost. And that's all we get. We don't know what he lost. He's just not, lost something. We don't, the thing is, we don't need to know. We're just, we're plowing ahead. The narrative, we, if you <laughs> haven't found it, you leave it behind. Leave the plot behind. He lost and that yeah. is all there is to it. Maybe that was another deleted scene. They were like, I don't know, playing chess against each other or something. Yeah, maybe there was supposed to be more, um, but not not for us, not to be seen. But he's lost and his, and his punishment is to be <laughs> essentially pimped pimped out yeah in exchange for the rent which yeah. i'm pretty sure is not legal no oh i mean not even not le- not a bit legal like wholly illegal like really quite you know we're like oh no this is intense sexual exploitation going on here this is not okay and this is where it gets quite um ageist as well uh because John says, well, you did want to do more dating. And Paul goes, yeah, not carbon dating. Oh. And he says, she's old enough to be Tutankhamun's grandmother. Again, it's just it's just cultural reference after cultural reference. You can't, I love the term, not carbon dating. Like, that's very quick and clever. Like, that's a really, that's a good joke. And then, and then Tutankhamun, again was you don't hear about hear enough about him these days but he was he was really popular that was probably a solid like primary school reference wasn't it because i remember studying the egyptians for like a year and in primary school you ne- you were never not studying the egyptians that's <laughs> and that's primary school life you just were always always studying the egyptians learning something new or the aztecs um but you just you were endlessly making another you know sarcophagus of tutankhamun's face we all knew yeah, that. A lot, of, a lot of painting with gold paint. Yeah. So maybe that was being, you were like, oh, yes, that's a that's one for me. Imagine Tutankhamun's <laughs> grandmother. That's so old. And I looked up how old Linda Blair was at this point oh, in time. No. And she was about 40. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I knew that was coming. I was like, I bet she was 35 or something. So Joni is waiting downstairs and I like how she asks the girls if there's anything Paul doesn't eat. Like he's a dog that she's looking after yeah. or something. Yeah, very nice. And then he like falls down the stairs, doesn't he? And does a weird sort of look. Yeah, the the implication I think is that he's been pushed because he doesn't want to go on the date. Right. Um, and so they've had to push him down the stairs. But then he's just sort of, he looks so forlorn and sort of 
very much trapped in what is essentially human trafficking. <laughs> and then he's, you know, sort of dragged, dragged away. Yeah, he's like mouthing, help me to help the girls, me. isn't he? <laughs> yeah, what a mess. And he's decided to wear leather trousers for some reason. Another leather clothing item. Yeah, with his fantastic, he's got sunglasses and he's got his leather trousers and his, again, it's just a block red t-shirt. And that's how you knew you were, you were one for the ladies in your block colours. We see Hannah is having dinner at Tommy's house. He's another weird clothing choice. He's wearing a sort of gold shirt, which is, I'm not sure that's probably supposed to signify that he's like really wealthy, mm. but it looks really weird. Um, and his PR guy is also there. And Tommy invites Hannah to the premiere of his new film, which is called The Freedom Riders. But the PR guy isn't happy about this because... Well, his argument, if I've understood this right, is that the film is about the war of independence and the British are the enemy. Yes. So he says, it won't look good if you turn up to the premiere with a British date. Yes. It's not clear what his logic is. <laughs> but then, And also within that, when he's like, you do know what this film's about, right? Uh, the, and he's like, yeah, the war of independence. And they're like, and who are we fighting? And then he's like, Iraq? <laughs> Which again, <laughs> you're like, okay, on the nose, writers. Yes, please. Let's get some of those gags in. And then Handa under her breath is like, the British. So it, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like it's enough of a reason, like not that she shouldn't be allowed. She shouldn't be allowed to go, you know. It felt like we maybe could have had an ulterior date or somebody that she wasn't as good enough as or, you know, all of these things rather than sort of, uh, patriotism is the reason you can't go. Yeah, maybe there's some kind of backstory where the PR guy is like in love with Tommy and just comes up with these weird excuses to drive all his girlfriends away because it does not make any logical sense. And Hannah is quite rightly annoyed, isn't she? Absolutely. And let's see that spin up, quite frankly. Like, let's see, you know, let's see that relationship blossom between the PR and, <laughs> and the movie star. Because Tommy falls for it as well, doesn't he? He says that they should maybe go bowling instead. Yeah. And she says, he says, do you want to go to the premiere? And she says, yes, please, in this very, very sweet way. She's just so, she's such a nice character. And you really believe that, like, she's just a really good egg, Hannah. Yeah, Hannah's sweet. And it's quite sweet that he, um, you know, he does seem to like it because he didn't just say, oh, okay, I'll go without you. He said, oh, let's sack off the whole thing and go bowling. Yeah. Absolutely. He he's you know, he's we're not clear about his character. He seems to be a pretty uh all right guy who just very confused. Um and also like they're all so poor. Like I would have stayed in the game a little bit longer, you know. <laughs> like if a if a really rich guy was taking you out for dinner and you, you didn't have a proper job, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have stuck it out for a little bit more rather than just committing to your principles and getting out of there. When his PR says you can't go to the premiere. Yeah, and aren't they eating... They're eating lobster or something, aren't they, in his house? It felt like they had... I felt like they had Coca-Cola in wine glasses, but it could also have been wine. <laughs> it felt like it was just quite a Probably. sweet thing to be like... But what Again, as a kid, that you was like, this is a really fancy meal. It's got Coca-Cola Coca -Cola in a wine glass. <laughs> so we now get Paul and Joni on this double date with her friend Janice. Oh, I hated the scene so much. It made me cringe because they're just, they're being really competitive, aren't they? And there's a bit where Janice keeps calling her boyfriend Schnookums. So then jo Joni calls Paul 
horn doggy and Paul starts barking like a dog. This scene is so baffling because <laughs> this very, this what's, you know, again, she's probably in her early 40s. Um, the <laughs> Janice lady, you know, is, shows up and has this very young man with her and then she's all over him but then reveals they've been there together for three years. And then there's like a weird bit where she kisses him and he sort of looks sort of horrified. And you're like, oh, is he also being just like paid to come <laughs> on this date? And are, is Paul and he now going to find like an unlikely friendship and be like, hey man, like I'm, you know, and you, so, those, so those seeds are sort of sown that that's what's going to happen. But no, it's not. <laughs> it's not me. Yeah, maybe, maybe she's a landlady as well and he's her tenant and this is the uh, agreement. Yeah. So it's really, I mean, it's nice to see a lovely bit of gender role reversal, but you were like, oh, boys, this isn't okay. Do you need do you need help in there? The moment where Paul starts barking like a dog, because he seems very reluctant up until then. And then he just kind of, he gets into the role and just starts barking. Yeah. And suddenly you're like, okay, Paul, he's into it now. Yeah, he really, there's a real <laughs> shift where he... He loves it. Oh, that's how I met too. And <laughs> here we are, three years <laughs> later. <laughs> so, um, how long have you guys been going out? Uh, three two years. Three two months. Years. Three months. But it seems like much longer. It, it stretches out towards the horizon like an infinity, like a desert of time going on and on and on. What was your question again? Oh, um, I oh, I just wanted to know if you and Joni have been going out as long as me and my snuckums. Snuckums. <laughs> yeah, that's my pet name for Drew. Oh, of course. <laughs> well, I have one for Paul as well, don't I, your uh, horn doggy? Horn doggy? Horn doggy? I can see you're just as fond of horn doggy as I am of my little pinocchio. Oh, I sure am. <laughs> and meanwhile, Hannah has left Tommy's house and met up with Rachel, and they're having a bit of a heart to heart. She's telling her that she isn't so keen on Tommy anymore, um, so they agree that she should uh, chuck him. Uh, that's the terminology. Yeah, again. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> So the next day she goes round to his house to break up with him and he opens the door and says, good news, you can come to the premiere as long as you don't speak and you agree to wear stilts because you're too short. <laughs> and then she has this de de lovely delivery of being like, I'm five foot. And then she whispers like, nearly. Like, <laughs> just very sweet. You're like, oh, that is very small. Um, yeah. Uh, only, only really tall blondes are like are, are uh, have been researching well this season, or like are the thing this season. So she's not allowed in. Another <laughs> bit of sort of industry, you know, a real industry smackdown. Yeah, it's a weird little comment sort of towards the end. That's kind of the final straw because that is a lot harsher than he's been to her so far. Yeah, like you're going to have to wear some stilts if you want to come to this premiere again. Though, I mean. I'd have done it. <laughs> I'd have done it. <laughs> You'd have worn the stilts. No questions asked. No, definitely. If I found myself in that situation with a Hollywood movie star who wasn't that nice, I'd be like, yeah, I'm in. Let's keep having some, some free meals and 
and I'll steal some stuff from your house and we'll call it a day. But yeah, no, I good for her for having the, you know, for being morally superior. Yeah, she tells him she isn't interested and he then invites her to go to Thailand for eight months because he's shooting a movie there called Entry Wound, which he thinks is going to win him an Oscar. And she's kind of like, oh, for God's sake. Again, I would be straight on that flight. Somebody taking all expenses paid to Thailand for eight months. Like, yes, obviously, yes. Screw, screw the band. You've not got anything on, Hannah. Like, you're not busy. <laughs> like, go, you know, obviously, I would have been like 100%. Yes, I'll come for eight months. Yes. But no, she's, look, her friends are most important. Yeah, she says, oh, we're just too incompatible. I'm British. You're self-centered, self-obsessed and self-important. I quite like that bit. Mm. It's nice. It's, yeah, she's like her. Her only flaw is that she is British. Yeah, and she she also says to him, "I hope one day you find someone who loves you as much as you do." Burn <sighs> again. The sort of thing that, as a kid, you'd be like, "What a line!" And then you'd sort of be desperate mm-hmm. for somebody. Nobody fancied you because well, you're a child, but like you're just sort of desperate to have these like. I'm saying you I mean me like these like very intense sort of <laughs> playground relationships and you which you sort of imagined a scenario where somebody would like you know what fancied you but like not enough and then you'd be like oh, you'd flick your hair and be like one day I hope you find someone who loves you loves you as much <laughs> as you do and then like walk away and of course those situations never ever happened because you're a child um but you were just like I remember like hearing things like that and then just storing it away in my memory bank to be like yeah one day one day yeah or like a, a sort of status on MySpace or something. I hope one day you find someone who loves you as much as you. Exactly. A, yeah, a status on MySpace. That's exactly it. The Disney movie Hercules. I was just thinking that the character of Meg says like, mm. "Hi, I'm. You can call me Meg. I mean, my friends call me Meg, or they would if I had any friends." And I remember uh, <laughs> as a child, my name is not Meg. You know, saying to somebody, oh, "My friends call me Meg, or they would if I had any friends." And someone obviously being like, "What's <laughs> wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> so she just went through this phase of just like reciting stuff you'd seen in the movies or like cool things people have said in in situations that did not call for it and in which it made no sense whatsoever be like here are the cool stuff i'll just say all the cool things so that would definitely be one for me as a kid to be like yes i'll stick it to yeah, him like st- i did to Hannah. store that away and uh hope for an opportunity to use it and even though no one will be around to see it just be like yes i use that line from la7 yes exactly and we get a song at this point which is i'll keep waiting and they're performing it at the cafe um it's basically bradley's song even though he hasn't had much to do in the episode yeah i kind of i recognize this song but i didn't really remember it as an s club seven song probably because it's a Bradley doing all of the singing and that's quite unusual. I didn't recognize this one. I did recognize Bradley's move which was to, you know, pull his top up which she did uh all <laughs> the time. And what a sexy sexy boy he was. And this was what this year is 2001 this is coming out? Uh 2000. 2000. And so he was born in 1981. So he's only 19 at this point. Mm-hmm. Like he's a little baby. He's a little baby boy. And his whole thing was how incredibly, incredibly ripped and sexy he was. I just hope they're all yeah. all right, you know. <laughs> yeah, John is even younger. He's, uh, he's, he's younger. Like a year or two. Yeah, John's the youngest um, and Paul is the oldest. And then the girls are all sort of in between. How I think Hannah's is... the same age as Bradley. How old is Paul at this point? Uh, I think he's about 23. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's the one who's outraged. He's going out with a 40-year-old. Yeah, right? Like, come on, Paul. Yeah, in this song, Paul's got his standard kind of the baggiest pants I've ever seen with a really tight top. That seems to be Paul's look this series. Mm. Mm-hmm. Apart from when he puts his leather kecks on. Of course, of course. But that was it. That was everybody's look, you know. Like that was that was a that was the time that was the times. That was the era, that was the decade. You had a baggy baggy trousers and a bandana and butterfly clips. Yeah, and then it kind of swapped over at some point, didn't it, to like really skinny jeans with a baggy top. Like it swapped. Yeah, sides. yeah, yeah. You swapped from one half to another. They transitioned from like baggy huge ruffly bits with like pockets and weird chains and weird like loops and stuff and then mm-hmm. it sort of overnight transitioned into those being denim and then being so wide around they were as wide around the base as they were around your waist and then they just sort of <laughs> sucked up river water rainwater even in a sort yeah. of litmus <laughs> test thing halfway up your leg and you're like yeah that's it that's the uh that's the height of cool i remember <laughs> my auntie saying like there'll be a time when you'll look back on which I remember seeing a picture of her with in the 80s like really permed hair and I was like you look crazy and she was like you look crazy (laughs) right now (laughs) and she's like there'll be a time when you look back on this and like can't believe that you wore it and I was like no you're insane people will wear (laughs) this forever this is this is fashion and now I'm like I can't believe people let us I can't believe everyone as a generation like everyone just agreed to be like yeah this is fine this is fine this amount of trouser Mm -hmm. isn't is an acceptable <laughs> amount of trouser it was too much trouser <laughs> yeah there is far too much trouser in this series and not enough top a lot of the time it's like Never the tiniest crop top, top mm-hmm. and an enormous pair of trousers yeah that was it so after the performance the band go and sit down uh paul brings some drinks over because i presumably he is working there uh we haven't been told this but he is uh and bradley goes hey what's up horn doggy nice nice and then the kind of end gag is that Joni comes over with these two women and is like, hey, boys, these are my sisters. We're going out with Janice on Friday night and we were wondering if we could ask for a favour. And then the boys are, like, horrified and run away. Yeah, they really sprint out the cafe, knocking over quite a lot of uh, crockery, if I may, on their way out. Yeah, and, it really is and they like... proper, like, push people out of the way yeah. as well. They, like, push a girl over. And that's Paul's place of work. So like, there's going to be some sort of lawsuits on your hands at this point, Paul. And but you, this moment, they're not that now. The sort of victim of this bit sort of shifts because it's gone from being like, hmm, this is, <laughs> hmm, this being child being pimped out to being like, oh, now we're sort of taking the piss out of uh, all women are ugly you know so perfectly sort of reasonable looking sisters arrive but like because their teeth are slightly crooked and like they've got very they haven't brushed their hair you're supposed to be like good doing like ah, the worst <laughs> witches in town and you sort of flee the scene yeah i noticed they they weren't listed on imdb so i couldn't check what they were up to maybe they didn't want to be listed as like horrifying women or something no right they I, I presume they did the scene i always worry about that about like you know people who who the joke is that they're very ugly or very fat or very like or very something mm. they're like what was the audition process and like what happened here that you that you know someone had to call you up and be like okay it's a great part in this new <laughs> you're sitcom. perfect for it 
it's some British kids and you will have a, like a, a couple of lines, you know, and, and you'll be like, oh, okay, my, my part is to be horrifying and to be this sort of creature of death appearing at the end. So, yeah, it's got, a, it's got an odd an odd note to end on for sure yeah so before we finish um any kind of last thoughts on the episode or about s club in general oh my my defining thoughts always when it comes to like s club is i when i think about them i think about them with such joy followed by such extreme sorrow that i think it did not go well for any of them really post s club seven and then i sort of worry about i just worry all the time about everyone i hope they're all right um they were just such a like symbol of, I, I think, I feel like we maybe don't do it to people anymore in quite the same way because they were the epitome of like that sort of millennium uh, superstardom where you didn't actually have any control really over what you were doing, uh, followed by mm. like once you were, once you weren't the flavor of the month you were very much like kicked to the curb and never quite sort of recovered from that experience because you were a baby like you didn't know you were they were teenagers like um what a formative like crazy experience for them to go through um and I genuinely feel like we don't see that and maybe I'm totally wrong maybe maybe that's happening all the time but it feels like we don't see it quite quite so much anymore um it feels like people take a bit more like ownership and like are a bit more in control so yeah I, I feel like S Club 7 one those ones that sort of pop up all the time in that like you'll never guess where they are now and you see them and you're like no like surely not <laughs> they used to be the they used to be like so they were so fun they were so vibrant they were like the, you just wanted to be in their gang so badly and they got up to these like and they were really and it was so cool that they made this American show because they they really like got up to sort of very like little, very British sort of scrapes you know they were like a couple of they were seven little mm-hmm. scamps yeah definitely I, I was watching some um there's some behind the scenes videos on YouTube for this series and they do genuinely seem like they're having a lot of fun. So I'm glad that they enjoyed making the series because it seems like hard work. Yeah. I, I, I really get the feeling that they liked making this series and I think that seems very, that seems, yeah, I hope, I hope they had a good time. I hope there's like a blooper reel at the end of the episode and that again like that was the sort of thing that you watched when you were little and you're just like oh my god I wanted to be in a blooper reel you know I wanted like when everyone was like laughing on set when someone like fell over you were like imagine it like imagine everybody laughing and yeah I think I like genuinely dreamed of blooper reels more than I dreamed of like being in being in a show yeah you want to be like in on the fun you want to be in on the fun yeah exactly so where can people find you on twitter and is there anything that you would like to plug (sighs) oh You can find me on Twitter and only only if you wish to tell me positive news about the aging members of S Club 7, because I don't want to hear <laughs> that they're not well. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Tessa Coates and I have a podcast that I make with Stevie Martin. It's called Nobody Panic. And you can find that on Acast and, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and it's a weekly podcast about, they're all how-tos. Um, and some of them are big how-tos and some of them are small how-tos, but it's quite it's quite nice. Um, and it's been a real pleasure doing it during lockdown. We've really, we've really loved it. Oh, sorry. I don't want to mention lockdown. <laughs> this could be timeless. Who's to say when it was happening. And so that's my podcast, but come and um, hang out with me. I'm always looking for pals. Um, and yeah, that's all for me. I've really, I've really loved talking about S Club 7. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's an S Pod Thing. It was edited by Alex Blondek with music by William Kitchener. 
If you enjoyed the podcast and want to let us know that we're your number one, please subscribe and leave us a good review. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.